Yeah, good. All right, amen. Yeah, praise God, it's good to be saved, and yes, it is the Lord's table today, and uh, there was a price that was paid for us about 2,000 years ago, and uh, that price was God's blood, and uh, I'd like to talk about that this morning. Uh, Yeah, it's good to be saved, it's good to be here this morning. you know, there's nothing like no, nothing like having a savior. It's nothing like having the Lord as 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 my personal savior. I mean, I've been saved. I got saved January seventh, nineteen eighty eight. I've been saved a long time, and uh, it's been a little roller coaster. But praise God, He's never turned His back on me. He's been there, and uh, He'll He'll always be there. Right? Amen. So uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, it's an honor and privilege to be here. Just thinking of our brother Maurice Lapierre. Like what he's going through right now, I mean, you know, praise God we could even get together this morning. I mean, you know, freely. We don't have to worry about gangs and violence running around in the streets and worrying about going home. Not yet, anyway, but for the time being, you know, praise the Lord. You know, it might, it might get like that one day. And uh, either way, it's good to be saved. It's good to know you don't, you know, you know, good to know we're set for eternity. Doesn't matter, we're set for eternity. If you would, go to your Bible. If you anybody need a Bible here today, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have our deacons in the back that can give you a Bible. Uh, We have a good old King James Bible waiting for you. You could take it home if you want. I have permission to say that now, right? I'm a deacon, right? I can say that. So, uh, yeah, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to start here. Romans chapter 3. All right. We'll start in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Actually, 23. 23 is that great old verse that we, should, we all should know. Uh, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That should, be, that should be a memory verse. Everybody should know that. I mean, you probably learned that in Sunday school. That's a good verse to know. You know, when you get these people out, you know, you're witnessing the people, they say, uh, no, I'm good. You know, we're out there in the streets giving our tracks, and that's great when, uh, where's Brian? Brian's, <laughs> Brian started this. You know, you give someone a track, and they say, no, I'm good. No, you're not good. There's none good. There's none righteous. No, not one. So we should know these verses, right? In uh, Psalm, Psalm 119.11, it says, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You sh- you're supposed to hide God's word in your heart. How do you do that? You keep, you, 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 you read it over and over. You hide it in your heart. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. It's like, uh, it's like my daughter Olivia. I, I, you know, she'll say over and over. She'll say, hey, dad, dad. Yes, Angel. I call Angel. Yes, Angel. What is it? Can I tell you a joke about pizza? Tell me a joke about pizza. Yeah, uh, forget it. It's too cheesy. So she'll say that over and over that I know it by heart. Like, and I always forget jokes. Someone ever tell you a good joke and you always forget it. I always forget a joke, you know, someone tells you. But she just says it over. Hey, Dad. Yes, Angel. What is it? I have a joke about pizza. I know. It's a little too cheesy. You don't want to tell. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. So you hide, you know. It's the same thing with God's word. You just say it over and over in your heart. You repeat it. You repeat it. I had another joke about construction, but I'm still working on it. Um, so here we are. Uh, Romans 3, verse, we'll start at 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That's what the good old English word propitiation is. The act of appeasing the wrath of God. It's the act of appeasing uh, uh, the wrath of an offended person. We've offended God, so we need a propitiation. And Jesus Christ is that propitiation. Through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Through the forbearance of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Thankful hearts this morning we could gather together. Thank you for getting us all here safely this morning, Father. Please speak to our hearts, Lord, as we gather around your table. Help us to remember the price that was paid for our salvation, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so verse 25 is where I want to say, to, for whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to uh, 
to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To remit, to remit something is to release from the guilt or penalty of, to remit, to release, to get rid of. So you have remission through, through God's blood, through, the, through, through his blood. Uh, turn to, uh, let's turn to Matthew. Yeah, we'll go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. This is a, Matthew 26 and also Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 in one hand. And Matthew chapter 26. This, both of these are accounts up in the, that upper room. As people say, the Lord's, uh, uh, the Last Supper. It actually is in the Last Supper. God, Jesus had supper with his disciples. This is the, the Last Supper before he went to the cross. So, uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting... Start of verse 27, uh, 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. He didn't mean drink his blood. He meant, you know, he didn't just cut a vein and say, start drinking my blood. He says, for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus said, I'm going to shed my blood because it's going to take my blood to remit your sins, to get rid of your sins. So I'm going to shed my blood. And Luke chapter 22, actually it says in verse 20, it says, shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, how many? Luke chapter 22 will tell you how many. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse, uh, verse, verse 20. Like uh, verse 19, he took the bread, gave thanks, and break it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after, the, after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. It's personal. It's for me. It's for you. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, let's check out verse uh, 19. Verse 19, uh, I'm going to read from 19, where are we, 19? Oh, here we go, 19. All right, talking about, now Jesus said this is for, the, this for a New Testament. He says, forget about those old, that Old Testament with all that blood that was shedding. I have a New Testament for you, and, that, and it's written, and it's with his blood. Verse 19, uh, verse 19 from when Moses had spoken every, every precept to all, all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. This was Moses saying, Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, uh, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. God requires, God requires blood for the remission of sins. You can, your sins cannot be remitted without the shedding of blood. Uh, turn to Col, uh, Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You know why we're so heavy on the King James Bible? First of all, because it's the Word of God. Amen? King James Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible says in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, where the word of a king is, there's power. So that's why we use a King James Bible. Because the King James Bible... First, another thing is, King James Bible, the word of a king, there's power. And also there's... There's so many things that I just, I got saved with this book and I would never leave this book. And you just look, when you, the more you read this book, the more you realize this is the word of God. You know, when you get saved and you start reading the King James Bible, the Holy Spirit inside of you tells you that this is the word of God. Amen. 
and you know what, and it's got no copyright, so you know what, we want to send the 100 Bibles to Haiti, you know what, we don't have to ask permission, because you know what, the Word of God is not bound, the Bible says the Word of God is not bound, and so we could send as many Bibles as we want, we do it every week, we send John and Romans, we don't ask nobody's permission to, to copy it, to copy God's Word, because if you try to do it with an NIV, ESV, ABC, whatever you want to do, you have to ask permission, somebody's got to get paid off. Nobody has to get paid off with God. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. So when you read Colossians chapter 1, we have verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redemption is only through his blood. And the reason why I bring up the well, why we're heavy on the King James Bible, because most Bibles take out, almost all Bibles take out the word blood. And without the blood, there's no remission of sins. I wonder why they would take the word blood out. Hmm, that's funny, huh? To redeem, to buy back, to, to buy back, to free from captivity. That's what, the, that's what the definition of redeem is, to buy back. To free from captivity by payment of ransom. A ransom was paid for us by God's blood, by Jesus' blood. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, For as much as ye know, I love when the Bible says ye know, because you could know. If it says ye know, you know. Now you have no excuse because you know. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition of your, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, blemish or spot. There's not enough silver and gold in the world to redeem you. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, back to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 11. I'm going to start at verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's eternal. It's forever and ever and ever. I'm not redeemed just for a week. I'm not just redeemed from this Lord's Supper to the next Lord's Supper. I'm not redeemed for a week, for a year, for 10 years. I'm redeemed for an eternity. A thousand years from now, I'm still redeemed. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Same book, chapter 13. Hebrews 13. That was an eternal redemption. And Hebrews chapter uh, 13 talks about an everlasting covenant. 13 verse 20. Verse 20, it says, Now the peace of God that brought again, uh, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of an everlasting covenant. It's everlasting. A covenant is an agreement with, uh, between two parties to bind with a contract. We have a covenant. We have an agreement with God. For, for It's everlasting. It's an everlasting agreement. See, here it is. God says, I'm going to shed my blood. You put your faith and trust in that blood and we'll have peace forever and ever and ever and ever. There's nothing better than having peace with God forever and ever and ever. And that peace is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's a Bible church, amen? That's why we go, that's why we compare scripture with scripture, line upon line. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Again, if you don't have a King James Bible, you might get messed up with this verse. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased 
with his own blood. These new versions take out his own blood. It says God's church is made up by people who are bought with Jesus' blood, God's blood. It's God's church, and it's God's people, and it's God's blood. It's God's blood. You know who's hanging on that cross? God was hanging on that cross. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Everybody knows who Pontius Pilate is. I knew that even before I got saved. I remember the stories about Pontius Pilate. He was the one who thought he could get clean with with water. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 24. It says, and when uh, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing... Actually, let's go back. Let's look at 22. It says, Pilate said unto them, Pilate said un, saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? They all, said, they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Oof, if they only knew. And the governor said, Why? What evil, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this just person. I am innocent. Pilate thought that he could take water and clean that blood on his hands. You know, the Bible talks, uh, in, in Ezekiel, it talks about having blood on, your, blood on your hands. And, you know, when you don't tell, when you don't give somebody the gospel and you know the truth and you don't talk, to, and you don't give the truth to somebody, you have their blood on your hands, the, the Bible says. Well, Pilate thought that he could just wash his hands, you know, and just wash his hands in water and he, he'd be all right. And it's crazy, and it's not that, it sounds, it sounds absurd, amen, but yet there's millions of people, including myself, that my parents brought me to a priest to get washed in water, a little sprinkle of water to, to get away that original sin. But it doesn't work. It's not by water. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So uh, look, let's look at... Um, so that's... The same... You know what? Let's look at the same chapter. Let's look at verse... Uh, Let's look at 27, chapter 27. Let's look at 27. We're oh, right here. Okay. 27. One. I'm going to start right from the beginning. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to, get, to, put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him. Delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And Judas was betrayed, and uh, then Judas, which had betrayed him, now, now Judas that betrayed him, now Judas was a devil, right? Jesus said in, uh, in the Gospel of John, he says, one of these, he said, Judas was a devil. Now Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and brought again 30 pieces of silver to the priest, to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed thee innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See that to it. See, Judas realized that he betrayed the innocent blood. Again, if you need a Bible, we have King James Bible back there. It's a free gift because if you have another Bible, they take the word the. Most Bibles take the word the out of there. They say betrayed innocent blood. But if it's betrayed innocent blood, that means there's other innocent blood. But Judas got it right because the innocent blood. There was only one innocent blood and as Jesus Christ, he was the only innocent. Jesus Christ was in it. You think about it. He was, a perf- he was a perfect, perfect sacrifice for us. He was a perfect sacrifice. He had the innocent blood. There's no other innocent blood. There's no other innocent blood. Modern versions, they removed the word the as if there were more innocent blood. Jesus was the only way, the only one who ever walked the face of this earth that ever had the innocent blood. Amen? Amen. I mean, you look at first, I mean... Look at First Peter. I need a bigger pulpit here. Run out of room. Jesus, uh, First Peter says how Jesus was was innocent. Jesus was innocent. I mean, think about it. And it, I mean, 
Innocent blood, innocent blood. And we take, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, you know, you say, well, what about my baby? Babies, babies are innocent in a, in a sense where, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, if a baby dies, yes, the baby will go to heaven. There's, there's an age where the Bible, the Bible tells you there's an age of where you acknowledge, you acknowledge, you can acknowledge sin and you're accountable. There's an age of accountability uh, that you could go to heaven or hell. But, you know, babies are innocent in a sense, but, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, but Jesus Christ was innocent from beginning to end. He was innocent. Uh, let me find this verse in First Peter. First uh, Peter chapter two verse twenty-two. I'm sorry. First Peter chapter two verse twenty-two, talking about Jesus. Uh, Twenty-one. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Who did no sin? That's my Savior. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in His mouth. Amen. But when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that's the cross, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus Christ is that innocent, innocent blood. Turn to, uh, turn to, uh, let me see what I got here. Turn to First John. First John. See, we need the we need the blood of Jesus Christ because that's the only innocent blood. And redemption only comes through his blood. First John. First John chapter chapter one, chapter one, verse seven. Chapter one, verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. That blood that he spilt for us, it cleanses us from all sin. For it's, everla- it's an everlasting covenant. It's for eternity. And that blood cleanses, cleanses us from all sin. If you're not saved, if you're not trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal redemption. You don't have eternal salvation. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We sing that song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 5. It says, in Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It was a big sacrifice that was made. That was a big sacrifice that was, made, that was made. He didn't deserve to, he didn't deserve, but he did it because, it's, because he loves us, right? God loves us. It was God's blood. The Bible says that famous verse, again, it's a, a verse that you should hide in your heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want to get, if you want to be saved, you need to trust in that precious blood that was spilt. As we, as we're going to take the Lord's supper, uh, the Lord's table in a couple minutes. Uh, it's all about the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's my message. Josh. Grab a hymnal, we'll sing one more before Brother Mark comes.
man. All right. You look good up here. All right. Amen. It's been a blessing already this morning. Um, you know, I noticed that when Brother uh, Deacon Dan, I don't know, where is he? I don't see him. When he came up, he got an applause. And uh, Deacon, Hood, Deacon Hood really looks good on you. It really does. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Just, and he also assert, he uses Deacon New Powers uh, to go first this morning. So uh, he, he had no shame in telling me last night uh, while we were at the banquet. So uh, thank you for that, brother. No, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Because, um, you know, uh, Brother Dan, he, he, uh, I've known him my whole entire life, and, you know, I love him as a brother of his family. And um, it, it, it was a blessing to see that he was preaching on the blood. And, um, you know, God is, is perfect. God knows exactly what he's doing. I didn't speak to him at all before in preparing this message over the last few weeks. Uh, and I'm actually pre- going to, by God's grace, preach on the, the body. So um, if you can go to Luke, go to Luke. Chapter 22, verse 19. <clears throat> Brother Danny, I've already read this verse, but we'll read it again. <clears throat> this pulpit is too small. All right. All there? All right. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. That's a word of prayer. Dear Lord, again, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for the blood that was shed, Lord. Thank you for the testimony and the songs have already been sung and said. And um, Lord, you're just a good God. And we just want to bring you glory and praise, Lord. Use this message for your honor and glory. Bless your people as only you can. And uh, just have me behind the cross, Lord, and by your grace, Lord, pray that you just might uh, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> So he's telling the disciples the body. He's talking about his body. He says that this is the body which is given for you, which this do in remembrance of me. And originally putting this message together, I had so many thoughts about what we should remember. And I guess if I was to title a message like this, it would be things to remember that God wants us to remember. And Jesus tells the disciples a, a bunch of times to remember, to remember something. Um, and the, my count, to my count, he, he says it five times, but really it's four times. It's mentioned twice and for the same account. Uh, John 15, 20, he says, uh, remember the word that I said unto you. Um, and he goes on to say that the servant is not greater than his master. And there are a lot of, a lot of things we could preach on just on that. Um, you know, that, you know, the, the toil and the turmoil that we go through this life is nothing compared to what the Lord had to do. He emptied himself of glory, he came to us. And uh, if you see what he did, his example, the suffering that he went through, well, the servant is no greater than his master. And we can find comfort in that. That mediator that we have uh, in Jesus Christ knows what we're going through. That's not my message. But Luke 17, 32, uh, he tells the people, remembers Lot's wife. Remembers Lot's wife. And uh, you don't have to go to those verses. I'm just doing a, a quick overview on them because I wanted to preach on all this. There's no way I'm getting through all of that. Um, and, you know, what I got out of that was uh, you, you, when you're saved, when you get saved, when God pulls you out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you have no business to turn around and look back Amen. at what, that, what God pulled you out of. Hey, you can remember the things that you, God put you out of and now be appreciative and, and thankful for what God has put you into. But don't look back. Don't keep looking back. <clears throat> John 16, 4, he says, to remember the words. Remember the words. And he's, what he's saying there is when he, when he was going to die on the cross, he wanted the disciples to remember that what I'm saying to you now, this is not a surprise. Me going to the cross is not a surprise. The comforter will come. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Don't be worried, even though they were worried after he went to the cross. Don't be worried. I, I, this is all a part of the plan, guys. Don't worry about it. It's a message for us. It's, we're good. God's got us. God's going to take care of us. I don't know what you're going through, but God's going to take care of us. And then the fourth time, not chronologically, but... What I want to preach on this morning is Matthew chapter 16, uh, Mark chapter 8, actually, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 14, but it's also mentioned in Matthew chapter 16, and let's go to Mark chapter 8, verse 14, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. 
And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither ye understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do do not understand? And I just want to go through uh, in just some things that I was studying out and the blessing that I got. Let's go through what he's talking about there. What what he's talking about, he's referencing two two miracles that happen. Uh, First, he's telling them, he says, listen, beware of the the leaven, and and we'll get to this towards the end, but hopefully, uh, of of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he wants to to, to beware of those things. They totally miss the boat. They, they totally see that as a, as a physical thing. They're talking about the bread that they don't have. So they're like, so Jesus is basically saying, like, you know, all right, we, we don't have any bread. So, you know, that's what they're thinking. And, uh, and he, Jesus has to remind them. He says, don't you remember? Why are you even thinking about the bread? It's not about the bread. It's not about the physical thing. That, that, the leaven, you guys, are, you're missing the picture here, guys. He's saying, remember how I gave the miracle of the, of the 12 baskets? Remember what was left over, the 12 baskets, when I gave that, broke the, the five loaves and two fishes? And then he says, do you remember the, when I had the seven loaves, how it was left? Seven baskets? So how could you be talking about, how could you even imagine that I'm thinking about bread right now, that I'm worried and concerned about the bread? So let's go and talk about what, what go into specifics of what happened to those miracles. Uh, let's go to uh, John chapter 6, verse 5. John chapter 6, verse 5. And chronologically... <clears throat> The feeding of the 5,000 happens first. Then somewhere in the middle, between that and the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus gives his, his message on him being the bread of life, believe it or not. Then he says the feeding of the 4,000. He does that. He gives the whole miracle, the feeding of the 4,000. And yet still they're asking about that physical bread. Somehow they just missed the boat. And I just want to encourage you guys about things to remember from the miracle of feeding the 5,000, what we could learn and remember about the bread of life and the feeding of the 4,000. <clears> so John chapter 6, verse, verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread and th- that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Thank God he knows what he's doing Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, saith unto him, there's a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples Disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said, gather up the, fa- the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So there's the miracle. There's the miracle. There's a whole company of people. There's five thousand there that need bread. He breaks the bread of that is five loaves and two fishes, and he feeds all of them. But I want to go back a few verses, go to verse 5 again, <clears throat> where he says to Philip, where are we going to get bread? When shall we buy bread and these, that these may eat? And 6, he says, this he said to prove him. He wants to know what Philip was going to say. Now, Philip was a man after my own heart because I would have probably given a similar answer. If someone gives me a problem, I need to solve it, right? So the first thing I do is I say, well, let's do the math. I mean... You know, uh, there's 5,000 people here. You think about how many, how many pieces of bread it would take to do that. Well, I mean, a day's wages is one pence. You're going to need at least 200 days' wages to get to, get to this. <clears throat> I mean, it makes sense, right? It's logical, right? That's how I would have thought it out. I don't know. Philip answered, 200 pennies worth is not sufficient. And then uh, and Jesus, he's, he's asking this to prove him. So, again, the thing I take from this, what I see here is, 
God is going to provide, but God is going to give you a, a scenario sometimes in your life where the math doesn't actually end up working out, but you just got to trust his provision, his providence. You just got to trust his provision, his providence. And I've seen that so many times in my life. You know, we, we got married, uh, Kim and I, you know, and we're, so we're looking for a place. They're like, man, I, this dollars just don't make sense. They don't add up. Yeah. Somehow God, all right, well, whether it's a, a raise or, oh, a person who knows somebody or, oh, you get an apartment. Okay, all right, worked out. All right. Oh, we want a house. So, I mean, you know, how are we going to do that? It worked out. You know, we had kids. How are we going to spend all these expenses and this and that, college and this and that and the other thing? You know, and by God's grace, it's working itself out. But you know what? God is asking for something from you, and that is faith. He's asking for faith. <clears throat> In verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now, I've heard this preached on a few different times, through different angles. And some say, like, you know, well, they just kind of stole this kid's lunch. You know, this kid's, you know, he's got his lunch, he's just sitting there, like, why are you messing with this kid? You know, he's got five, five loaves. I mean, you know, it's, it's nothing. But I think, you know, the lad actually had faith. He's there, and he's like, let's see what Jesus can do with my five loaves and two fishes. And the lesson here that I get from that is God will take and do with you and what you have more than you could ever ask or think or imagine or you possibly ever fathom, God can take that, that little thing that you have. I mean, we got nothing compared to God. God's got the cattle on a thousand hills. God will take that if you let him. If you buy faith, you give it to him. He will take that and do so much more than you can even possibly imagine. And that's what exactly happened in this story. The bread that was given, <clears throat> Jesus blessed it. He gave thanks. He distributed it to the disciples. Disciples distributed to those that were set down. Picture of us. God gives you something. Now, God, now you got to take that and give it to somebody else. And there's all these fragments, all these fragments left over. Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets. What do those twelve baskets signify? Well, I think doctrinally, it signifies that Jesus was trying to provide for his people Israel. He's trying to show that I am the righteous king. I am the rightful Messiah. Just as God fed you guys in the wilderness all those years back, in the days of Moses, Jesus was proving to them, I'm, I can feed and take care of you guys too. I can take care of you guys too. I and the, I and the Father are one, he says, multiple times. And, uh, you know, the thing about a king, a good king, is that he provides for his people. He provides for his people. A leader provides for his people. <clears throat> and... Uh, let me get my, to my verse here. Proverbs 25, verse 5. Proverbs 25, verse 5. <clears throat> it says, Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. You know, a righteous king, again, will provide for his people. You look at the, the, all the, uh, even Joseph, Joseph and, the, and Pharaoh. When Joseph was asked to become Pharaoh's right-hand man, he had to, he had to actually ask, uh, uh, interpret the dream that was that there was going to be seven years of famine, there was going to be seven years of plenty. And, uh, you know, even Pharaoh wanted to be a good king and be good to his people because if, you're, if you know anything about people and empires, and, and it's all good until people run out of bread. It's all good until the people run out of bread. And you know what? Jesus, is, he knows the same thing about us. He knows exactly what it takes to sustain us. He knows what it's going to take. He knows exactly our limitations, right? And I just thank God that he knows our limitations. He's not going to give you more. He's not going to prove you more than you're able to be proven. So that's what I see there in the feeding of the 5,000. Now let's go to, um, <clears throat> let's go to uh, my next page over here. Let's go to talk about the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 30. So it's not, not too far off from uh, when he just did this miracle here. <clears throat> they said, said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? And what do, dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto him, unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, and that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him at the last day. And if you're not saved, just like Brother Danny talked about the the blood that was shed, that blood that saves us, that propitiation for our sins, that he's, that, that's the will of God right there. That he, and everyone who gets saved, everyone who believes on the name of Jesus Christ, accepts him as personal Lord and Savior, guess what? There's no one he's going to cast out. He's no one he's going to cast out. But that bread of life, <clears throat> you know, there's people after that, we'll go and skip down a little bit, that think he's talking about, again, a physical thing, physical breath, the bread. And we just can't get our minds off the physical, what's right in front of us. <clears throat> it comes again, it goes, skip down to, uh, skip down to 47, he has to say it again, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. 48, I am that bread of life. Goes again, starts talking again about the, your fathers in the wilderness, that, that they eat manna and are dead. 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now, now make no mistake, we're not actually eating the physical body of Jesus Christ or drinking the physical blood of Jesus Christ. These are just elements representing the spiritual which is what he's going to explain here to these guys, these knuckleheads, that this is their, their, he's, he's talking about the physical representing the spiritual things, the spiritual salvation. And going to verse, uh, <clears throat> let's go to verse 62. <clears throat> 61, actually. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, because they're all, all kind of offended here, he said, doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the thing that I see that God is trying to get across to his disciples is that get your head out of the physical. Look above. Look up. Set your affections on things above. Right? It's the spiritual that matters. How's your state spiritually today? I mean, you're standing. You might be saved. You might be going. But how are you doing spiritually? Are you doing what God asked those disciples to do, which is he's given you something, and now you've got to share it with somebody else, whether it's helping a brother in discipleship, or whether it's going to the lost and preaching, getting, getting some, some, some fish in, being fishers of men. You know, it's funny that, you know, uh, and this is in my message, but Jesus, when he met Peter the first time, he, he told him to be a fisher of men. He meets him on the boat. He's up there, and he's trying to get fishers, fish in. He's a fisherman. And at the last time he sees Peter, he says to feed my sheep, right? There's two things there. God is reminding him, hey, be a fisher of men. Remember the first time? And then the second time is he's saying, I want you to feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my people. That's all about, that's all, and that's all ministry is. And that's what pastor's been preaching on and teaching on. And uh, I don't know, got in my message somehow. But anyway, <clears throat> but get your mind off the physical. Get into the spiritual, get into the word of God. Put the focus on the things that are eternal, those things that are going to last forever, not the things that in that little dash between two dates on a gravestone, that's going to amount to nothing. Make it count for something. Give him something that he can do that you'll never be able to do in your wildest dreams or wildest imagination. So that's the second thing I see. Now, it's funny that Jesus actually didn't tell disciples to remember that. So it's interesting that between those two miracles, that happens, and they still don't get it. But Jesus is he's being, he's being gracious with them. Now, let's go to the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. All right. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Now, <clears throat> before we go further, a little bit of background. Jesus is with, uh, it's a mixed multitude here. A few verses before, he, um, he, heal, he heals the, uh, the Syrophoenician um, woman there and um, uh, who's fixed with the devil there in verse 22. <clears throat> and um, so he's, he's in a place in Tyre and Sidon and then he comes out of Tyre and Sidon and he does that miracle with the Syrophoenician woman, woman. And then he comes into Decapolis, which is, a, again, another Gentile area um, to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And, um, and Brother Eli can correct me after the service uh, if I get any of that wrong in the geography of Israel. But... Um, <clears throat> Uh, but he says, I have compassion on the multitude. So he's talking about not just Jews now. That the first time was, he's talking about Israelites. These are Jewish people. He's got the 12, there's the 12 baskets that are left over. You read it a little bit earlier. He talks about the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they're getting ready for, uh, the last, um, for uh, Passover. And, um, and so he's here with, with a mixed, mixed group of people here. Um, just like you and I, Gentiles. And his disciples, verse 33, say unto him, whence... Should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks, and brake them, and gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did were 4,000 men, beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took, took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. Magdala. Okay. Now, in verse 32, I want to park on there. The one, first thing I see here is God, even though he knows what we need, he has this providence, he's not going to give you more than what you can handle. But you know, he also has compassion. He loves us. Amen. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. Now, he didn't have to do what he did with the, these Gentiles here. He didn't have to do that. I mean, with the Jews, he's doing that to prove that he is the Messiah. He's trying to prove that, uh, that he can take care of his people. But for the Gentile dogs, I mean, he just in a few verses here, he says, you know, is it, it's, not, it's not me for the, for the, the dogs to have the, the, the children's bread. And, um, but yet he still loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins, Right? This, this, is what we're cel- this is what we're, we're recognizing and remembering here today, which is his sacrifice for us. And look at the, the similarities here, which is pretty cool. Because they continue with me now three days. He was in the grave for three days and three nights. And have nothing to eat. So you not just, not just see the parallels there, but you know, he knows that they, they have nothing to eat there. He knows our frame, right? That's like in Psalms 103, verse 14. You don't have to go there, but I'll read it to you. It's a beautiful psalm. <clears throat> 103.14 it says for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust as for man his days are as grass as a flower of the field so he flourisheth yet he thought enough to have compassion unto these people these Gentile dogs that weren't, weren't fit for the, the children's table but he gave, he gave them anyway he said, I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Because he knew that they traveled far to be with him, to see him. So I just thought that was beautiful, right? That God is able to give he love, out of love for us. That the similarities there that th- for three days, those people had no bread. They had nothing. They, and for three days and three nights, Jesus was in that grave. I mean, it looked like there was pretty much no hope. But he rose again that third day and he gave us that bread, that bread of life that we have there behind us that we're, we're, we're remembering today. Then <clears throat> there's seven baskets left over. And I don't know all the, the doctrinal implications. You can research it. There's a whole bunch of backs and, back and forth on what it is. And, but you know what? I see that as a picture of perfect salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a picture of, 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 of not just is he willing. He, he gives you enough, but he gives you more than you need, more than you need. And you, there's no shortage of grace at the foot of the cross. It's perfect. 
And you notice, too, the seven loaves there. The seven loaves. Uh, if you go to verse, uh, verse 34, and they said, how many, how many loaves have you? And he, they said, seven, and a few little fishes. Seven, a perf- the number of God, perf- perfect, uh, perfection, completeness. I mean, wasn't the bread of life perfect? I mean, I don't know, that whole picture there, it's just, it's just beautiful. It's something that I never saw before in reading that, feeding of the 4,000. So let's go back. Let's go back to, um, and we're going to start landing the plane here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16 again. Actually, sorry, let's go to John 6, and we'll, go, we'll flip back and forth. Mark 8, sorry, Mark 8. I got, you had to see all the lines, I looked like a, a crazy person, all the lines of the chronology of this stuff going on. Mark chapter 8. All right. <clears throat> Now, let's go back now. Those are things that we're supposed to remember from those miracles that Jesus, that Jesus did for us. He's trying to get them to remember some things. But why is he getting them to remember those things? Why, what started this in the first place? In verses 14 and 15, Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Right? And that's what hung them up was the leaven of, of the Pharisees and of heaven. That's what may cause this whole digression. <clears throat> and what, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is leaven of the Pharisees? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, you don't have to go there, but in verses 1 through 4, it says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And this is happening right before he gets into this warning to the disciples. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And you know what I see here is... Um, if you're still in Mark chapter 8, that same dissertation, he doesn't get into it in Mark chapter 8, but in verse 10, in verse 11 actually, and the Pharisees came forth and began to question him. That's the questions we just read. Seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And Jesus actually sighed at their question. Like, he was just like, you know, he was like, you know, rolling. His, I just picture him rolling, you know, rolling his eyes. I don't know if he actually did that, but that's what I would do. If I'm, I'm sighing, I'm like, come on, these, these guys again, man. Like, they're just, they're, they're knuckleheads. And um, what it is is there's no faith. They're not coming in faith to get an honest answer out of Jesus. They're not coming in faith. God calls them, Jesus calls them hypocrites. They're full of pride. They think they, they know everything. They think that they could stump the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what caused Jesus to sigh. And so what about that leaven? Why does he liken it to leaven? What does leaven do? Well, leaven puffs up the bread, right? That's what leaven does. I've made bread a few times. I like leavened bread a lot because it's just, it's just it's delicious. I don't know. It's just really, really good. But, um, but he says to beware of that leaven. And he's not, again, not talking about physical leaven, thank the Lord, because we'd all be in trouble. And now I'm talking about bread and I'm hungry. But he's talking about that spiritual leaven. <clears throat> and what does pride do? What does pride and hypocrisy lead to? Well, Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 27, you go there. Jesus speaking again to these, these, hypocr- uh, these hypocrites here, these Pharisees. <clears throat> and this is, this, this, uh, this is at least the third time he's saying woe unto them. <clears throat> he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And what I see here is Jesus is trying to warn his disciples Hey, look, 
beware of this, this inflated, fluffy, fake religion. Beware of that, that pride that will lift itself up. It looks beautiful on the outside. It looks beautiful on the outside, but it's all rotted on the inside. It's all crumbling on the inside. You know, it's funny because in other places in in the Gospels, you can see the disciples kind of, they kind of backbite with each other sometimes. They go back and forth. You got Peter and John at one point, they're trying to outrun each other to go to, to find, you know, get to Jesus' tomb, right? You got, uh, uh, I think it's Peter who's asking the Lord, you know, what is this man going to do? Talking about John. Like, they're constantly, like, just looking at each other like, you know, what's this guy going to do? What's that going to do? You got to watch out for that pride. You got to watch out for that pride, especially within the church. As believers, we got to get our minds off of those, those, you know, these, like, we have tunnel vision sometimes, you know. We get caught on these little things. It's like uh, my daughter, you know. On, on Friday, we had, I think we had sushi or something. And um, anyway, she, she had these chopsticks. She broke it, and she, you know, it didn't break the right way. You know, they're going to come in the little sushi kits or whatever. All right, you and me not sushi people. Anyway, <laughs> he breaks this, she breaks the, the, the chopsticks, and she's crying. She's like, you know, devastated because they broke. And as the, you know, me sitting at the table, and I'm like, it's just chopsticks. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But that's how we are sometimes. We get into these little stupid tiffs with people. Our, we let that pride come within ourselves and lift ourselves. I think we know something or we're somebody. I mean, and it's, it's, it's reviling to God. He's telling them to beware of that stuff. <clears throat> and we got to be careful even more is, is the knowledge that we get in a good place, like, like a church like this. The knowledge that you get, it says in 1 Corinthians, Paul admonishes the Corinthians for, that knowledge will puff you up. That knowledge will puff you up. And you know what? It's rather you have no knowledge and just have a sweet spirit towards one another and just worship God out of sincerity and truth and out of faith, just like they did in uh, that, that lad who gave those the, of, his, of, his, of his lunch. You know what? God honors that more than that, than that spirit that would lift itself up. John chapter 8 verse 44 he calls them children of the devil and you know the devil's first sin was pride he lifted himself up against God and Job 41 verse 34 he talks about Leviathan he says he's the father of all the children of pride you gotta remember what that spirit is of I think it was brother Mike yesterday he said you know if you can't forgive somebody well then you must got something on on God then right I mean you must think you're pretty, pretty high if you can't forgive your brother Right? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, that's pretty audacious. And the Lord's table is the antithesis, antithesis of all that. It pictures God emptying himself for us. That unleavened bread, there is nothing in there. There's no pride, there's no sin, there's nothing. He humbled himself for us. How could we not humble ourselves for each other and before God? The other thing he says there to be aware of is the leaven of Herod. <clears throat> and um, the Herod represented the, the political um, party, if you will, in, in power uh, in that, at that time. And Herod actually, and Pilate, would go back and forth. Uh, Brother Danny brought up Pilate. Because Pilate was, um, he represented Rome, and then Herod was the, kind of the puppet king put in place um, that also represented Rome. But they would, you know, have tips and whatnot. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the world, you're not going to find any solace or any true comfort in what the world has to give you. In Mark chapter 6, verse 27, just before the feeding of the 5,000, Herod is there killing John the Baptist because of his own sin that he got himself into and some wicked stuff that was going on there. But to basically appease his, uh, I think it was his daughter-in-law, he, he, wants, he, he wanted to just get John the Baptist off his plate. And he literally put his head on a platter. <clears throat> and that's what this world will do. This world is not your friend. It's not going to give you anything. It's going to persecute you. If you're trying to live godly for Jesus Christ, that's what it's going to do. It's going to, and it's going to cause fear. I mean, there's been fear in the last couple of, of years just because of just this system is unstable. <clears throat> and again, if you're finding your faith or your confidence or your solace, in a political party or a political system or, or an institution or, hey, look, I love this country, but you know what? At the end of the day, you got to make up your minds and put your faith in the right thing, which is 
The Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect finished sacrifice. Look, if you're not saved, you've got to put your faith in that. But if you are saved, again, get off this physical. Get off the things we can see in the here and now. You've got to put your eyes and put your, put, your, put your faith in things that are above. Put your hope in those things. Make your, make your life mean something for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the Lord's table represents the victory over that last enemy, which is fear. Death and sin, right? Because of this, because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we don't have to have that fear anymore of what the world can do to us, of what, the sin, of what sin can do to us. We have victory and power through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, as Brother Danny preached. And, uh, the, body, and the body here, again, if we could just remember a few things, God is able to provide. He's Jehovah Jireh, right? The feeding of the 5,000, he provided for his people. God loves and he cares for you. He knows your frame. He's not going to put you through more than what, he, what you're able. Get your eyes off the physical. Get your eyes off the physical things and beware of that stuff that will come up in your life that will just end up being a stumbling block and end up messing you up more than you ever want to be and take you further than you ever want to go. And I hope that was a blessing for you.